Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, episode 169, How Activating Your Brain Can Increase Innovation. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of success on the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks, Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And sitting right across from me, as always, is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hi, Pam. It's always a pleasure to join you for another episode of Growth Igniters Radio. And as always, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders to accelerate themselves and their companies to their next level of game-changing innovation, growth, and success. Well, Pam, we're entering into our sixth year of Growth Igniters Radio podcasts. Unbelievable. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? Absolutely. And you know what? One of the biggest things we've learned over the years from our clients, as well as from guests on Growth Igniters Radio, is that while the business environment will always be turbulent, you can't avoid it. The degree to which individuals, teams, and companies innovate, transform, and grow, despite this turbulence, starts within our own minds. Exactly. Although this is true for everyone, it's especially critical for top leadership teams to find ways to pick up on the early signals of changes in the environment, frame the information in new ways, make high stakes decisions, and then take bold action in the face of complexity and deep uncertainty. Yes. And we know that neuroscience has made Lots of inroads into understanding how to tap into our brain power at the highest level. But, you know, there's so much and so many complex concepts out there that it's sometimes hard to digest for everyday use. That's why we're speaking today with Scott Halford, president of Complete Intelligence, LLC. Just a bit about him. He is a writer and longtime professional speaker and educator of business people worldwide. He focuses on brain-based behavioral science, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and influence. His clients include some of the most venerable businesses in the world, such as GE, Google, Bank of America, American Airlines, and more. Now, in 2014, Scott was inducted into the National Speakers Speaker Hall of Fame. He's been the brainy business columnist for Entrepreneur.com and a blogger for Huffington Post. Scott is the author of Be a Shortcut, The Secret, Fast Track to Business Success, and the Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Activate Your Brain, How Understanding Your Brain Can Improve Your Work and Your Life. And this is the book that really got us interested in talking with Scott. You can read more about Scott Halford by going to growthignitersradio.com, episode 169, and scroll down to his bio. Well, Scott Halford, welcome to Growth Igniters Radio. Another Scott. Wow, good morning. Yeah, exactly. How are you going to keep us apart other than I'm not your husband? Well, okay. I think what I'm going to have to do is say Scott Halford and Scott Harper. <laughs> we'll work it out, Move but it's right going to be fun. Here. Okay, so let's you just start out. Yeah. We can do it. We can do it. So what led you to conduct research about understanding the brain? It's not the kind of thing that people just casually go out and do. Well, no, it's, it's not a casual dalliance at all. But, you know, the, the, I think the thing that, that spurred it, the quite literal activity that 
happened was that I was working with physicians around emotional intelligence during physician leadership. And they always wanted to know where does this show up in the brain? Because we know that emotions are generated through the brain. Mm-hmm. And when we were able to look at it and see it actually in fMRIs and scans and really able to locate places, it became real to them as opposed to this nebulous thing that emotions can sometimes be for people. They're real. It's data. It's, it's things. There are things that you can see. And when I saw how real that became to them, I thought, you know what? I am going to be dealing with cynical, jaded people who just don't believe in this stuff. They you know, they bleed in it. It's kind of an interesting thing when somebody says, oh, I don't believe in that. It's, um, it's like, well, it's your brain. Your brain is mm-hmm. kind of generating everything. It's actually generating your disbelief around this right now. <laughs> so, True. Um, so that's how it happened, yeah. Okay. So what is the biggest insight that you gained from the process? Was there a big aha? The big aha is that I went, oh, my gosh, I do have a brain. But aside from that, the, 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 the biggest insight was that people will go into the soft, the soft skills. When we, when we talk about soft skills, I think they're the hardest skills that we'll ever learn. Engineering is a piece of pie. You know, it, it's, it's easy to do math. It's easy to do almost anything. And I don't say that pejoratively compared to understanding the intricacies of interactions between humans. It's so complex. And so that they called, got called soft skills was uh, not good to me. But what happened was the big aha was all I had to do was to show the science, and then they became the hard skills. So, Scott, you mentioned that Activate Your Brain, the book, is especially geared toward business people. So why, why is that? Well, because, you know, if you look at today and you look at what's required from corporations, every single quarter – they have to improve themselves year over year, quarter over quarter. And that is a constant improvement that's been going on since Wall Street's been around. And when you look at the amount of pressure that is coming down on these people, it is immense. They have not only their job, but then they have their families and they have their community and they have so many other pieces of the pie that are pulling on them to to produce and perform. And we see burnout, we see depression, we see all kinds of things happening. And when you take a look at the brain-based approach to working, it changes the game. It changes everything. They have something left over at the end of their day for the people they love. Well, so innovation for business growth in a world that keeps changing is especially challenging, to put it mildly, grueling, if we really want to uh, be honest. It, It can be up and down and sideways. What is the most important thing that the neuroscientists have learned so far about achieving full potential in these kinds of high stakes, ambiguous situations? The, the, the one thing in neuroscience is that we never will be, we will never get to the place of what is the thing, because they will always, neuroscientists will always say there's not the thing, there's several things. There, there are different pieces that get us to innovation. The biggest thing that's in the way, though, that I can see from my own experience through business as well through the, the neuroscientific models, is that the biggest thing is, is the noise, the constant input of information and requests into our brain. We have piles and piles and piles of requests. If you metaphorically looked at all of the things that your, your brain is trying to tackle for you at any given moment, you would be astounded. And yet we, what we do, instead of pulling back, we, we push on. And when we push on, we don't make ourselves better. We actually make ourselves messier. And it's not happening in corporations where we're, we're doing any kind of pullback. 
and allowing people the space to be able to think and the time to be able to think. Or, you know, we're not giving them the, the kind of, of basic timing in the morning or the timing in the afternoon to actually settle into the day and come out of the day. There should be rituals, in my opinion, at corporations, just like there are rituals in your personal life. You get up, you brush your teeth, you might take a moment, you have your coffee, you read the paper. Like those are all rituals, and we do them in order. The same thing could happen in business. It's just that that's not a culture of American business. Well, there's a lot to learn about the brain for sure, and uh, we're eager to get into it, but first we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll dig deeper with Scott Halford, author of the book, Activate Your Brain, about understanding how the brain works can help you and your team increase creativity and innovation for growth. Stay with us. This is Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. We focus on enabling visionary leaders to ignite, sustain, and boost momentum for game-changing results, and we're on the web at businessadvance.com. To everyone listening, welcome. We're glad you joined us. Whether it's because you're a subscriber or you've just found us wherever you pick up your podcasts, but there's a special reason to visit growthignitersradio.com, and this is... It's the only way you can access all of the previous podcast episodes from the start of Growth Igniters Radio, which is now going into our sixth year. It's also where you can find unique show notes, bios, and resource links specifically related to each of our podcasts. We feature award-winning CEOs, thought leaders, and best-selling authors. You can explore more by going to growthignitersradio.com today. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper. Today we've been speaking with Scott Halford, author of the book Activate Your Brain, about how understanding how your brain works can increase the quality not only of your life at work, but way beyond. Scott, how can people find out more about you and your book? Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you are in the world. You can find out about me by going to the web at www completeintelligence.com or scotthalford.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-H-A-L-F-O-R-D.com. And you can see Scott's full bio and other resources for this conversation by going to growthignitersradio.com. And it's episode 169, and there's lots more to find out. So let's get back to our conversation. You got our appetites whetted about this whole idea of understanding the brain in a different kind of way. Can we start out with how you would describe the different functions of the brain? That was a part of the book I found particularly easy to understand. So let's make it come alive for people. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, if you look at how the brain sets up, the, the vast majority of what we do and how we think is operated by 100% of the brain. And so the fallacy, that, that the myth out there that we only use a part of our brain is it, it, it's significantly not true. What is true is that we use 100% 100% of the time. What we don't use is capacity. Therein lies the good news about where it is that we can find new ways to think, find new ways to be, find new inventions. And, and it all happens in this capacity. Humans are collecting information all of the time, about 11 million bits per second. Your non-conscious brain 
is exposed to. So if you look at, you know, say that you're 40 years old and Pam and Scott are 40 years old, each one of them that, that you represent 80 years times 11 million bits per second and, and 11 million bits that are different, even though you are married, they're very different. You're having very different experiences. When you, when you look at that and you multiply that, how many seconds old you are times 11 million bits per second, and you look at the pool of data that your brain offered you, if you just got quiet, if you just got, if you, if you picked an area and you said, I want to, I, I'm interested in let's say, innovation, and you studied innovation, and that's all you did your entire career. Well, those 11 million bits would become really smart, wouldn't they? And they become oh, so okay. smart that when you allowed access to them, what would happen is you would begin to have thoughts and ideas born out of the experience of those bits that no one else would ever have. Have and and they would be incredible. They would be they would be beyond our ability to even conceive. So what we're trying to do is get quiet. It could be overwhelmed if you just let it all flow in, couldn't it? You absolutely could. And so it's kind of like the brain's wisdom device. It's like it's got the, your brain has the keys to the kingdom, and it lets you in every once in a while for a tour. And if you're really good, let's come and stay in one of the rooms. And the thing that people don't do is get quiet. So the way I look at it is this. If you, if you think about all day what is happening between you and your environment, you take in information. You have emails, you have texts, you have the news on newspapers, you have the computer, everything coming at you, giving you information. So there's the input to your brain. And then there's the output, what you tell people to do, what kinds of things you put out on your computer, the texts you generate, the emails you generate. So those input-output they take up huge real estate in the brain. And so what those 11 million bits per second are doing is they're leaning against the wall waiting for you to get quiet and to notice them because they have some information for you. And what we do when we do get quiet is all of a sudden we run into that information and we go, Eureka! You know, we have, aha! And uh-huh. We act as if that we, we basically have come up with something brand new when indeed your brain has known it for a long, long time. And that Eureka is the moment it feels when it's discovered that piece of information in the brain. And it only happens when we get quiet. Okay, so building on that, Scott, one of the tools that uh, you use repeatedly uh, throughout the book is a two-by-two quadrant diagram of uh, arousal and adrenaline or or corticosteroid levels. Uh, stress hormone levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that and how understanding and recognizing which quadrant we and our teams are living in impacts performance as business leaders and, and team team performance in general? Yeah, this is a big one. Um, it's a big one. It could take. Uh, let me let me reduce it down. It's a. It takes a lot of pages in the book, but the the things to understand is that if you look at stress hormone cortisol, and you look at yep. adrenaline, that, that right. it travels with adrenaline. It also travels with glucose. And those three things, when they come together, they help you to be with survival. And survival is all about fight, flight, or freeze. Uh-huh. And so we fight, the fight or flight response that everybody knows, they, we always forget the freeze part. Sometimes it's good just to stay put so the burglar doesn't hear you in the house. Um, Fight, flight, or freeze. That's what it allows us to do. Well, those three hormones are, are necessarily temporary in the system. Well, when we live in a world that is pounding us all the time with need, want, 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 need, 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 do, 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 um, our stressor hormones up all of the time. And the, the stressor hormone used to be there 
so that when we saw a wild feral animal or something that could get us out in the wild, it allowed us to survive the moment by fight, flight, or freeze. And that, that was great. Sure. We don't have those animals anymore. They, those animals are your colleagues. And, well, if that's the case, then indeed we're surrounded by animals all of the time. And that's when our glucocorticoids take over. And if they do take over in a way that is constant, what happens is that we begin to live with the, the difficulties and the, the nastiness of stress and what it does, not just to, to the immune function, but it, your organs and your brain. So that's, that's a piece I could see the relationship between what you were saying about getting quiet and this issue of the stressors, because how else are you going to shake off the stressors except to get yourself quiet? Would you say that's true? Yeah, uh, that's one way. Another way is to exercise, is to Uh, literally walk faster than a walk, walk faster than a walk for about 30 minutes a day or multiple times a day. Um, Laughter is another way to mitigate the, the stress effects. So now let's build on that. And how do these different brain functions interact, especially when it comes to creativity and innovation? When we're looking at affect, affect is a fancy psychological word. That means when you look at moods, dispositions, and traits that equal either positivity or negativity. And what we know very simplistically is that positive emotions generate innovative thoughts. Negative emotions help you to find old information, and what we're doing is old information to solve new problems. That's where mm-hmm. most of America stops, is finding old information because we're in a survival mode. And if all you do is have your people at, at work in a constant, stressed-out manner, then what you have is, is this basic kind of machine of people giving you old information repackaged to deal with new issues. They're not innovative for people who are innovative. If you look at like Google and you look at Microsoft and you look at Apple, you look at these big, big iconic companies that are just generating huge creativity. It's because they sequester teams of people and say, you go and don't deal with the everyday hassles of the corporate world. You're a carve out, go invent something. And it's exactly how the iPod was created was by pulling the pressure off and allowing them to be a positive asset be happy to to laugh to giggle to have you know play games there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of criticisms that happen for those companies where oh i guess now we have to have ping pong tables in our office well actually you might you might help yourself if you do so the fact is is that positive affect is the thing that generates all kinds of invention it creates new thoughts new ideas and that's where we're we're seeing big huge things shift in the organization That's an important point for sure. And we're going to talk more about what we can do to start small in the next segment. But first, we're going to take a break. Stay with us. You're listening to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper, brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated. We're on the web at businessadvance.com. Since you're listening to this episode about how to activate your brain to increase innovation, be sure to listen to related episodes of Growth Igniters Radio. For instance, in episode 107, Three Ways to Create Breakthrough Thinking for More Powerful Decisions, Scott and I share what it takes to outsmart three of the most common cognitive biases that naturally occur at critical points of innovation, transformation, and growth. 
For links to this episode and more, go to growthignitersradio.com, episode 169, and scroll down to resources. And to discuss your specific questions related to leadership for accelerating momentum to your company's next level of growth, contact us today at businessadvance.com. Welcome back to Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, Scott and I have been speaking with Scott Halford, author of the book Activator Brain, about how understanding how your brain works can increase innovation and help your company transform and grow. Scott, how can people find out more about you and your book? You can go to my website. My book is called Activate Your Brain, www.completeintelligence.com or scotthalford.com will take you to information about how to get the book, and you can certainly find it on Amazon. And you can see Scott's full bio and other resources for this conversation by going to Growth Igniters Radio, episode 169. So, Scott, let's talk about three immediately useful ideas that any top leadership team could use to activate their brains and improve how they innovate. You talk about starting small. Is there a start small kind of way that's immediately useful for holding meetings that foster collaboration, especially when there are the strong egos involved? Well, it's a, you know, the start small start now is a very individualistic kind of maneuver. And when you look at it in application to teams, it would be basically looking at if we've got a big project that we have to, to complete by XYZ time, say 90 days hence, then what we do is to start small start now is to break down the elements of that project into almost minuscule pieces so that every day, every single day, every 24 hour chunk, you have a success because the brain loves completion. It loves achievement. And to give it a check mark, it's a ta-da, you've got it done. It would mean to have every person on the team create their list of things that are, are down into that minuscule kind of granular type of, of um, activity and to have the team come together and look at, first off, are they all in alignment? Are, all, are they all on the same page? And in doing so, they are able to look at each other's little lists of 24-hour kind of um, the checkmark lists and make sure that those are all in sync as well. And so it, it sounds like a lot of work, but what happens is most organizations, most, most teams, they take their the approach as you go do what you do, you do what you do, and everybody goes off. And that's where communication breaks down. And then all of the little check marks that they're trying to get along the way, some people have them done, some people don't, and it holds up the team. Teams that work well communicate a lot. Teams that work well know what's on the other person's agenda, and they make sure that all of those things support each other. And it means getting that, that, that agenda down to the, the project work down to very, very small 24-hour tasks. Okay, so building on that and going to a next idea, uh, you already talked about how stress can just kill innovation, creativity, and interaction. Can you give us an immediately useful idea for decreasing stress, especially when a team is facing a high-stakes decision about investing in a course of innovation? Stress is an individual thing. It's definitely not a team thing. The thing that you want to look at is that your team is an amalgamation of all of the individuals experiencing their stress. Okay. And so as a leader, if I'm, I'm looking at helping my team get better, what I'm doing is I'm individually 
working with each person and making sure that each person is taking care of themselves through exercise, through the things that they eat, making sure that they sleep properly. And that sounds like a really bizarre thing for a team, for a company to get involved in. Well, mm-hmm. if I'm a coach of a, of a high stakes, high bread, like an athlete that is a thoroughbred, and I'm spending a lot of money on making sure that they, that I recruited them and that they're going to operate well. Well, guess what? I, I do dictate what they eat, they sleep. And I'm not suggesting that corporations do that. I am suggesting mm-hmm. though, that they actually support that kind of thing and that they allow each individual to manage stress in the way that is important for them. But the vast majority of things that we know about stress, meaning that we take time to get quiet, that we take time to move and exercise, that we take time to laugh, that we take time to collaborate in a way that actually is about kinship as opposed to competition. Those things are really important to the individuals that become the team, that become the company and the invention. So it starts, again, it starts small, and the small is the individual's work on their own stress. Okay, so even when you're sitting, say, we have listeners who sit on boards of directors and the C-suite, and no matter what level of the organization you're talking about, it starts small, and everybody needs to manage their own stress in order to make some of these very big decisions that we're talking about. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you have a collected group of well-rested people who are able to think and and able to dive more deeply into information and not get critical of information, tired brains are critical brains. Mm -hmm. And tired brains are not innovative. We're really good at problem spotting. That's a tired brain. We're not very good at problem solving. That's an awake brain. I think that one of the things that could be useful about this is it becomes important to go off-site to make some of these decisions because then you can get the rest, then you can relax, and that might be another immediately useful idea. Uh, Just get it on the schedule that when you have something that's a really big decision, that might be a time to go off-site, to come together as a team. What do you think? Yeah, or or, or conversely, not to do problem-solving during during an off-site, but to make that a time where they actually are building trust because trust is kind of, it's the trait in human beings that's been with us since the beginning and that allows us to open ourselves up to surrendering, to being able to think with another individual, not to compete. That's what happens at offsite is they build immense trust and then, then they can get into the work of problem solving. And certainly you could do that at the end of a, of an excellent offsite Offsites are an interesting thing that you bring up, though, because there, there, there are very few activities that a company spends money on that are more important and more helpful to move the dime on decision-making and invention and innovation and overall trust of a team than going off-site and doing things that are other than the work. Mm-hmm. When very, it's a high-stakes situation, it's certainly important. Well, let's uh, go to one more immediately useful idea. And this one, maybe we've already talked about, but an immediately useful idea for leading others so that they stay positive because, of course, innovation is ambiguous and it's a long-haul kind of thing. How can people stay positive even with through the ups and downs? Wow, if I had the answer to that, I would be a billion gazillion billionaire. <laughs> okay, we're uh, going to. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is a tough one, but you know, we've experimented with some ideas and uh, 
I think it goes back to what you were saying before, which is helping people to get some of that rest and to see what they've accomplished already. The check marks you were mentioning, seeing what people have done, would that work? If you, you know, if you want to make significant inroads into a person's psyche and to, to, you know, what it is that they are, you know, how, how it is that they set up to become the best contrib- contribution to the team, it's different for every single individual. People sure. are dealing with depression in huge, huge, huge ways. And we can't ignore that. You know, we can't just come in and, and, and say, um, we're going to make you happy. That's not the, 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 the leader's job, I think, yeah. is to pave the way and give access to the brightest brains they have, which is hopefully the brains they recruited for their team, and to give them access to capital and time in order to create and produce the things that need to be done and to push the company forward. And that necessarily means we need to create big chunk kind of policies and cultural kind of initiatives that allow our people to think and to rest and to be involved with the other part of their life, the day of work at work and home at home, that's done. That's done. We will never probably again see an unmeshed life. And the necessity of actually acknowledging someone's life outside of the workplace is a really huge part of reducing stress. Because if I have to take little Cindy off to the doctor and I'm stressing because I think my boss is going to be angry that I'm taking time off of work, that's going to affect my work. But if my boss has a culture that says you need to take your kid to the work or to to the doctor. Absolutely, go take mm. your kid to the doctor. And there's ways that we can work around that. That's a very different environment, and and so so many that can be set up that allow the employee to work at their best. I think leaders that pay attention to each individual's needs. Those are are, are such rare leaders, and they are such important leaders to our world. But if you want to become a, a great leader, pay attention to each and every individual that reports to you and pay attention to everything that's going on in the world. Then you will be able to say, you know, John, I know you well enough to know that that look on your face is you're feeling pretty stressful. You know, go take time to exercise or go, you know, go take some time in the gym or have you thought about those, those vacation days that you haven't taken yet? And I think we all look at that. We look at it as a weakness when we do take time. And I think it's a weakness when we don't. I think you're, we're really weak individuals if all we're doing is being a martyr about sleep. We only had three hours of sleep last night, and I never take vacation, and I work from this. To, it's not, it doesn't make any sense. It's exactly opposite of what the brain wants you to do. Absolutely. Well, Scott, you have given us so much to think about, and my brain is active right now. <laughs> do you have any good, final, good, good. final thoughts you could share with us on this important topic? You know, I would say this, I would say as, as you individually out there, all the listeners are embarking upon understanding your brain, I think it's the, the, the greatest activity you have before you. It's not your work, it's not your family, it's not your church, it's not your community. It's understanding your individual brain. And I know it sounds like heresy, but when you do and you go on that and you begin to research and study it, you will be able to give to those entities that I just spoke about in ways you've never given before. And the world, I think, needs wisdom. I think it needs the wisdom that we're holding back on. So go on that journey. Really understand your brain. Well, Scott, thanks for being on Growth Igniter's radio. It was great to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Scott. And thanks to you out there for listening to Growth Igniter's radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. 
To get show notes and resource links for this week's episode, go to growthignitersradio.com, episode 169. Until next time, this is Pam Harper and Scott Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to consider. What can I start doing differently today to build a routine that gives me better brain power for a more powerful life? Growth Igniters and Growth Igniters Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper are registered service marks of Business Advancement Incorporated. All Growth Igniters Radio episodes are copyrighted productions of Business Advancement Incorporated, intended for the private use of our audience. Except as otherwise provided by copyright law, all other uses including copying, editing, redistribution, and publication without prior written consent of Business Advancement Incorporated are prohibited. All rights reserved.